What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to another segment of Meninge Trois. I'm your hostess, Keeks, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are a faithful and fellow listener, welcome, welcome to another episode. If you are a new listener, I would like to welcome you to my podcast. Pray everyone has been doing well. You know, we got a lot going on in America right now. You know, we got the damn coronavirus, uh, that scare going on. Then we got the presidential election coming up very soon. You got people dropping out of the presidential election and shit, man. It's a lot going on in America right now. But despite all that, I pray everyone has been doing well. I've been doing great. I can't complain. I will like to... um make this announcement for you guys i know according to my podcast my pod the way i introduce myself on my podcast is keeks but i'm gonna be changing that my name the name i'm gonna go by now from now on is lord have mercy and if you guys follow me on my personal instagram do y'all know that's my personal instagram name so that's my artist name that's the name that i use uh to identify myself as an artist lord have mercy so just wanted to give you guys that update because i know when i you know open up the episodes always say always say keeks and whatnot but i'm gonna go by lord have mercy and then for sure it'll be lord okay so let's go ahead and get into some other announcements first and foremost make sure you guys find and follow me on my social media accounts you guys can find and follow this podcast on facebook on instagram and on twitter at meningetois Make sure y'all go ahead and follow your girl. Secondly, make sure you guys find and follow my podcast team, SFA Charlotte. That is S dot F dot A dot Charlotte. You guys can find and follow our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, Stitcher, Podcast, Overcast, and Castbox. And y'all can find us on Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you guys find and follow us on our social media accounts as well. Thirdly, make sure you share and promote this podcast. I know it's somebody that want to learn about the things that I'm talking about. So make sure y'all do y'all due diligence in getting this information out to the masses. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. Let's get right into it. So before I get into the timeline of events, because that's how I'm going to lead this episode, I'm going to give you guys a quick refresher on how to read a timeline because it's great to have, you know, refreshers in case you forgot some things. So one of the first things I want to say, well, before I even get into that, I don't know if you guys remember being in school and you're looking at a timeline, right? And the way that years or time was measured to represent an event that happened a long time ago, they would use BC and AD. Now, BC and AD stood for, like BC stood for before Christ and AD stood for after death. BC being before Christ was a time frame that represented any timeline of events that occurred before Christ was born. AD would be representing any timeline of events that occurred after Christ's death. Yeah, come to find out we don't use that anymore. Um I don't have a specific date to I guess confirm when this changed, but we now use BCE and CE. But before I get into all of that, I just want to um give a I guess a more specific example, just to make sure you guys get it, you know. 
So let's just say you had a person who was born 368 BC. That means that person was born 368 years before Christ. And then if, let's say if you had someone who was born 368 AD, that means you had a person that was born 368 years after Christ's death. Still, you know, that timeline of events, you know, one occurring before Christ's life, one occurring after Christ's life. And this was changed because historians noticed that, you know, they basically didn't have a way of measuring the time when Christ was alive. They couldn't use the number zero for the 30 plus years that Christ was alive. It's been documented that Jesus was alive for at least 30 years, somewhere maybe like 30, 35, something like that. But basically for that 30 plus years of Christ's life, there was no way of measuring that time. And I guess the number zero was something that they try using, but they're like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Like you can't just keep zero, you know, in measuring a year for 30 years. Like that's, it's like having lost time, if that makes sense. So now instead of using BC and AD, we use BCE and CE. BCE would be the replacements for BC. All right, BCE stands for before the common era. This would be the replacement for the before Christ. And then the CE would be the replacement for the after death. I feel like I didn't say that right. CE will be the replacement for after for AD and CE stands for a common era. There we go. Um, I've also read that AD is still used in some cases, but it no longer means after death. And y'all hear me talk about that in like a few seconds. But I just want to make sure everyone understands, you know, you have instead of BC and AD, you have BCE, NCE slash AD. Now, one of the reasons why this changed, why historians changed this is because they noticed that using BC and AD was very religious. And not only that, it wasn't inclusive to um, various religions being practiced across the world. You know, not every culture in the world or every nation or every state and whatnot practices or believes Christianity, as we have been learning, you know. Um, so in order for it to be like a quote unquote universal law that, oh, this is going to be our measurement for time, you know, that was a little ethnocentric. And I'm honestly not sure if this was something that was, that was used across the globe, because I know obviously we live in a Western, we live in the Western side of the hemisphere. So we're going to use what we were taught you know we were taught using the bc and ad and i know also within the united states it's very um christianity is very dominant within our culture so of course we're gonna follow that but i'm not sure if it was the same you know in other countries across the world they still use bc and ad and things like that that i'm not sure um but they made that decision you know it's not inclusive to other cultures and at the same time, not everyone believes that Christ was alive. So how can you make this a universal, maybe I shouldn't say universal, but how can you make this a measurement for time being that not everyone even believes that Christ 
was alive or that Christ is real. Which, you know, that makes sense. So you definitely want to make something that's inclusive to um, various cultures. Another reason why this was changed, I know you guys heard me talk about this briefly before, but there was no way of documenting that time when Christ was alive. You know, there was just this number zero, but that didn't make sense because, you know, you can't just leave the Z, then the time or the year is zero for the 30 plus years that Christ was alive. And then finally, you guys heard me talk about how AD is used in some cases. It just no longer stands for after death. It actually means Anno Domini. And a direct translation of Anno Domini is year of the Lord. So, you know, when I read that, I'm like, okay, well, isn't that still kind of, you know, Christian based, you know, year of the Lord? Because I know the Lord, you know, Lord is, uh, that's one of the ways that we identify with, you know, Jesus. Um, so I found that to be a little interesting because I just feel like that's still Christian based, but I did see that that's only used in some cases. So maybe that's one of those things where it's used only in the Western Hemisphere, but, you know, across the globe or in other cultures, they use BC and CE. Okay, now we got that fun stuff out of the way. Okay, so before I give you guys this timeline of events, I want to give you guys a visual aid to help you see the information I'm about to give you. So think of a number line. Yep, we're going back to school. We're looking at number lines and integers, all that fun stuff. Okay, so you know how you will have a number line and at the middle of that number line, you will have, um, in our instance, let's just say the number zero, quote unquote zero. Anything that would be to the left of that zero would be considered a negative number. Whereas anything to the right of that zero would be considered a positive number. Now, when applying it to our context, anything that is to the left of that zero would be any timeline of events that falls under the BCE time frame. Then anything to the right of that zero would be anything that falls under the CE time frame. And also anything that falls to the right of that zero will get us closer to our time. So let's just say 2020 would definitely be to the right of that zero, just to give us all a better visual aid. And you guys are going to hear me um, when I give you the time frame of the event is going to go like the first event uh, uh, starts out or began. <clears throat> excuse me. The first event occurred within a 6th century BCE. So it's going to go 6th century, 5th century, 4th. Then, you know, it's going to continue to go down. Then it's going to hit that supposed zero. Then it's going to go back up. One, two, three, blah, blah, blah. You know, okay. So when it comes to understanding this zero, because even I had a challenge with understanding this, it's like... I don't even know if you can say that there was a year zero, but that's another reason why I gave you guys the visual aid to um, to help you better understand it. But it's like, because, you know, the numbers are going to go down, then they're going to go up again. So it's going to go, let's just say, for example, negative six, negative five, negative four, negative three, negative two, one, negative one, zero, one, two, three, four, five. Um, so when it hit that zero, 
I don't have it written down in my notes as, oh, zero century. I have it written down as first century BCE, then it goes first century CE. So when you guys hear me make that transition, that's basically us crossing over that zero. I just want to stir that out there so you guys can better understand. So you won't hear me say, read an event and you're like, wait, what the hell just happened? Like she just went from first century to first century. What? What? You know, just so you guys can better understand. Okay. We got all that fun stuff all the way. Let's go ahead and get into the meat potatoes of this episode. Okay. Our first event occurred during the 6th century BCE. And this event occurred in Nepal. During this time, you had the life of Siddhartha Gautama, a.k.a. the life of Buddha. Buddha is documented to have been alive during 566 to 486 BCE. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Next event we have occurred during the 5th century BCE, and this occurred in India. During 486 BCE, you had the first Buddhist council at Rajagaha. Now, when the Buddhist councils would take place, this would be a time where all the Buddhists would come together. You know, they would commune and they would... um pretty much try to preserve their religion you know if there are any sacred texts that came from buddha you know this is the time where all those texts would be gathered and um they would try to preserve that information you know and also spread teachings amongst each other just so you guys get an idea as to what was going on within the buddhist councils the next event we have occurred during the fourth century oh sorry hold on also want to add that uh the buddhist council that took place in at ragajaha that is modern day rajir india also want to let you guys know you may hear me butcher some words just to throw that out there um but modern day rajir india just in case you guys you know want to follow along now our next event occurred during the 4th century BCE, again in India. In the year 386 BCE, you had the second Buddhist council at Vesali. And Vesali is modern-day Vaishali, Bihar, India. Our next event occurred during the 3rd century BCE in Sri Lanka. So now we're moving outside of India. During this time, the years 272 to 231 BCE, you had the reign of an Indian emperor by the name of Asaka. And he converted to Buddhism and he established the Buddha's Dharma on a national level for the first time. Notice I said national not local, national. And pretty much after he made that, after after he established, uh, take your time, after he established it on a national level, that really, that's like the first time Buddhism became public. Um, and it, it kind of went outside of the, I mean, of course it went outside of Nepal and India, um, 
but it really began to make um I won't even say I guess you can say yeah it it really did begin to make an international trend uh transformation and um being introduced to other cultures and things of that nature then during the year 250 BCE you also had the third Buddhist council who hold on y'all third Buddhist council at Pataliputra and Pataliputra is modern day Patna Bihar India and during this time <coughs> excuse me um Asaka's son and missionary Mahinda, they established Buddhism in Sri Lanka in the year 247 BCE. So it officially became like um the religion within Sri Lanka. So then the next event that I have occurred, hold on, excuse me. <coughs> the next event I have, um, occurred during the second century BCE and this event occurred around 200 BCE exactly and this is where you have the beginnings of Mahayana Buddhism so if you guys listen to me talk about it in my previous episode Mahayana Buddhism is one of the many schools of Buddhism so this is one of the major one of the biggest schools of Buddhism that there is it began or started around 200 BCE don't have um um a geographical location pertaining to that event but just so you guys know that that's when this major school of buddhism began because this is one of the most influential one of the most studied um schools of buddhism so it's very important to you know to recognize that next event i have occurred during the first century bce during this time, you had a canon of the Theravada school. It was committed. Um, not the not the the canon wasn't committed, duh. But you have a group of people belonging to the Theravada school that would write the scriptures on palm leaves. So this was their way of preserving, again, preserving the t- their teachings. Um, and not only that, that's a way of documenting the teachings as well. You know, in different cultures, you will learn that people, um, not only that people have different ways of preserving things, but that people have different ways of communicating things. So I know, for example, in our culture, American culture, you know, we're very big on writing things down. If it's not written down, then it it doesn't exist you know if you go to court you don't have evidence that it was written down you don't have those documents then they're like well we don't have proof that this actually happened so we're very big on writing things down um and then in um, many african cultures verbal exchanges are very important you know very significant and having that verbal communication and that's the way that a lot of things are communicated so I just wanted to mention that because it's very important to take note of that because, again, you have these scriptural readings and teachings that were written down on palm leaves. And this is a way of them preserving Buddhist teachings. And not only that, um, 
a way of sharing that information as well. I wonder where those are. It'd be very interesting to know where those are. But this is documented to have took place in a cave near Matali, Sri Lanka, around 35 to 32 BCE. Now, we're going to cross over the zero, you guys. Yay! <laughs> okay. So, the first event we have took place during 1st century CE. This is where you really see Buddhism um, expand across various nations because it became, as it continued to grow, you know, as it continued to get shared and exchanged across various cultures, you know, because right now we've gone across Nepal, we've gone through India, we've gone through Sri Lanka. Now you see it really expand within the continent of Asia. So, Buddhism became established in Cambodia in 100 CE, and it became established in Vietnam in 150 CE. Then, around, uh, well, I guess we don't really have a direct time frame uh, for when Buddhism enters Central Asia and China, but this is when it also began to disperse around that realm as well. So if you guys are looking at a map, just so you guys can see how it kind of snaked its way through the continents of Asia. This next event I have occurred during the second century CE. And during this time, you had a Buddhist philosopher by the name of, hold on, Nargajuna, during a year of 150 CE, he was the founder and he founded the school, the Buddhist school of, hold on, <laughs> he founded the Buddhist school of Mad, Madhyamika, Madhyamika, I think I said that well. Um, and he established this school around that time again, uh, 150 CE. Now, we move forward into our next event, which occurred during the 3rd century CE. During this time, you see Buddhism spread throughout Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, and Indonesia, which pretty much... You just see it um, be like, so for example, in uh, Cambodia and Vietnam, these were, it became like the official religion of those areas. So you just see it growing and growing and growing in those countries. And then in countries such as Laos and Indonesia and Myanmar, you see it being introduced to these areas. So more people are finding out about it and are... Um, converting to it and are studying it and are making it uh, practicing the Buddhist lifestyle and really getting in touch with the religion and really um, clinging to the religion and getting attached to it and things like that and just just so you guys know all those countries I just named Myanmar, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam and Indonesia all those countries 
are within Asia, specifically within the southeastern regions. So just so we can kind of better understand when I was saying how Buddhism um, began to disperse throughout Cambodia, Vietnam, and Central Asia, you see how it moved from like Central Asia to now it's Southeastern Asia. Okay, next event we have occurred during the 4th century CE. And during this time, you see Buddhism expand throughout India and Korea. So during the 4th century CE, Buddhist texts began, they were um, translated into Chinese by Kamra Jiva. Kamra Jiva. And this is documented to have occurred around somewhere now, somewhere, somewhere around 344 to 413 CE. And, um, When you have text being translated into another language, I feel that that shows you how much, not only how much that particular subject has grown in this context, how much um, Buddhist has grown, Bo- Buddhism has grown, but it also lets you know that a lot of people are studying it, a lot of people are getting into it because you know, if it wasn't growing, then it would, then it wouldn't need to be translated. Um, And not only that, when you think of it being translated, now you have to think of all these documents that were being preserved, that were being shared, that were being exchanged. These documents are being made publicly available to the masses in a way that they need a direct, they need various translations of it, you know? So obviously when these documents or these say when these sacred texts, I don't want to call them documents. I just feel like that's disrespectful. When these sacred texts were created, they weren't created in um, a language that was Chinese. You know, they were created in a language that w- was um, being spoken during the time that those who were who founded the um, who founded the religion, who are studying it, you know. They existed in their language. So since you have it being dispersed across various cultures, now you have other people finding it interesting and, you know, reading into it and studying it and wanting to know more about it. They need a translation so they can better better understand it for themselves. And that's one of the things that I guess it's one of the things that we can take mental note of because when you have a translation of anything, especially when it comes to languages, you're never going to have a precise or a direct translation of exactly what that what what the original source said. So let's just say for example, if you're studying language and if you're trying to I don't have an example to think of on the top of my head, but let's just say if you're studying, let's say if you have, if you're trying to ask someone for a cup of water, you know, in some languages you can have a direct translation of, oh, may I have a cup of water, you know, from whether if it's from 
Spanish to French or French to English, English to um, Yoruba, you know, there's different ways you can translate it, but you would notice in studying languages that sometimes there is no precise way of saying the exact same thing of what you mean. And I could think of something right away, but it's not appropriate, so I'm not going to say it. Um, but sometimes in trying to translate something, even as simple as asking for water or, um, if you're trying to try on clothes, like you just have to, um, study language to get exactly what I mean. But sometimes in studying languages, there is no direct translation for what you mean exactly. So because we have that gap of, um, not having that direct translation, some things get lost along the way. And I feel like it's very important to recognize that because I feel like that's not something we always think about, especially when it comes to religion. You know, a lot of times when it comes to religion, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, it depends on how you interpret it. You know, it's interpreted differently depending on a person who's reading it or who's studying it. And then sometimes it's one of those things where it's like, oh, no, this is the exact interpretation and what they meant. You know, I feel like it's not really a way that you can say what was meant when this source was written because you don't even have a direct translation of what was said, you know? And then it also poses the question of, well, would you say that the most direct translation would be those that came from Nepal? You know, those very pure, the very first sacred text that Buddha wrote. You know, unless we have the, the, those exact writings that came directly from Buddha, can we trust any of the other sources, even those that were translated? I know I just kind of went off on a tangent a bit, but just give you guys something to think about because I feel like that's not something that we always think about when it comes to um, religion and sacred texts and things of that nature. Not even just sacred texts and religion, honestly, with a lot of things that we read, you know, with books and all the information that we consume. But getting back to our timeline of events, just want to throw that out there. Um, During the... Fourth century, uh, Buddhist texts were translated into Chinese by Kamra Jiva. And then in the year 372 CE, you also have Buddhism enter Korea for the first time. Yay! Next event occurred during the fifth century. So during this time, you will see Buddhism go back into India, Myanmar, and Korea, and pretty much it will just grow within these areas. So during this time, you have um, a Buddhist monastic university that was founded in Nalanda, India. Excuse me. And then Buddhism became established in Burma and Korea. Again, it's just growing within those areas. You know, it's not like, oh, it's reestablished. Um, just growing in those areas. And then the next event occurred during the 6th century. And during this time, you see Buddhism being spread throughout Japan and Indonesia. So Buddhism, it's said to have entered Japan around 538 CE. And it became the state religion 
around 594 CE. I just want us to marinate on that. That's about, hmm, that's roughly about 40 years of Buddhism being in Japan. Um, And it became a state religion, meaning that it was, I don't know, when I hear state religion, I hear it being something that, almost like a force. Um, Because it's something that, it's, it's the state religion. Like, it's like the official thing. Like, no, this is what we study. This is it. This is what we believe. This is the state. This is, this is what our beliefs are. Um, I'm not sure how accurate that is, but that's my perception when I get, when I think of it becoming a state religion. And then Buddhism began to flourish in Indonesia. Don't have a specific time frame as to when that happened, but just throwing that out there. Next timeline of events occurred during the 7th century. During this time, you had, oh, hold on. Harsa Vardhana, who was, who was the ruler of a very large empire in northern India. Um, he was, he converted from Hinduism to Buddhism. And the time of his ruling was roughly around 606 to 647 CE. I find that to be very interesting because I do feel that Buddhism and Hinduism are somewhat alike. Um, They have a lot of similarities. And I just find it very interesting whenever a person converts from one religion to another. Um, Especially because it was a time when Hinduism was being practiced a lot. And... What you guys will um, learn and hear hear me talk about in discussing some of these various religions, you know, um, the spiritual warfare that took place. You know, there were times when religions were being forced on people and and having this this force, you know, you had culture clash you had resistance because some people one did not want to follow a particular religion and then two you know people already had their beliefs that they believed in they were practicing already and then it's like if you have this religious um the spiritual warfare that's taking place it's like you're being forced to give up what your spiritual practices are or what your religious practices, let's say religious, not spiritual, what your religious practices are and practice another religion. Um, so I wonder if by him being a convert from Hinduism to Buddhism, how that impacted those who were under his reign. Because remember, he was a member, he was a ruler of a very large empire. And I feel like, you know, I just feel like if you're a ruler um you have authority and you have your beliefs I just feel like it trickles down and it affects those that you have authority over or you know yeah our next event occurred during the 8th century um in Tibet which is in China and during this time you have the Yingma school of uh Buddhism was established in Tibet. 
pretty much. No specific uh, timeline for that, but just know that it occurred around the 8th century. Next event occurred 9th century CE. Um, I guess you can say Buddhism reached Europe. And the reason why I say Buddhism began to reach Europe is because you had the biography of Buddha uh, that was translated into Greek. And it was distributed in Christianity as Balaam and Josephat. So I kind of want to talk about that briefly because, for one, I feel like, again, since you have this translation of Buddha, even though it was Buddha's biography, I feel that because you have this translation of his life into another language that means that other people are reading about it other people are wanting to find out more about it other people are studying it other people find it interesting so yes it is being dispersed uh and it is growing in that particular area so in that case it would be europe and greece um i also want to look into balam and josephette i feel like i've definitely come across the um the name Josephat and somewhere in the Bible and I might have seen Balaam but it definitely makes me want to look into that and see if I can find that because I just think that's very interesting and just see how the Bible talks about um Balaam and Josephat or how the Bible talks about Buddha in that instance but I found that to be very interesting because you definitely never hear that being talked about uh so I just wanted to throw it out there because I just think that's cool also during the ninth century CE you had a great Buddhist persecution that took place in China and this is documented to have taken place during 845 CE so what's a Buddhist persecution pretty much what you guys just heard me talk about you know and talking about the uh religious warfare you know people would have their religious views and their religious beliefs and then you have this new religion that's being forced onto people so this is probably just one of those times where anyone who believed followed believed and followed buddhism were being persecuted in china so that yes that means that people were being killed murdered all of that um and it's all it was probably one of those things where it's like you are either forced to renounce your religion or you would you would die um that's usually how religious persecutions go you're either forced to convert to a different faith renounce your well first it's like you renounce your own faith you convert to a different faith or you die that's typically how those things go just so we all know so our next event occurred during a 10th century ce and during this time, we see Buddhism move throughout Thailand. So Buddhism entered is what Buddhism is recorded to have entered Thailand around nine hundred to a thousand CE. And during that time, because that's like a what a hundred years a hundred year difference you pretty much just see it you know being introduced moving about you know people talking about it um following it and 
studying it. You know, you probably had more translations and pretty much just more people following the religion itself. A hundred years, man. That's that's like, hmm, I guess I don't want to say I hate to say two lifetimes because, you know, but whatever. Okay. Just leave it alone. Um, and then you also see around 900 to 1000 CE, Islam began to replace Buddhism in Central Asia again. So I wonder if this was one of those things where it was religious persecution. And I don't want to, I don't want us all to assume that anytime that one religion, um, leaves or that when another religion is um is taking place that automatically assumes that religious persecution took place although I do feel that that was very common during that time you know you had a lot of that going on with various religions you know and that's a come again you guys heard me talk about that briefly in another in a previous episode saying that no religion is perfect like seriously every religion has a time when there was some type of religious persecution being take taking place whether if you were the person being you know the persecutor or if you were the person being I don't think I said that right whether you were the person being killed or were you the person not you directly but whether your religion was um the religion that was being forced upon another culture or whether you your religion was the one that was being um persecuted but i am curious to know if that was a time when religious persecution was taking place because i feel that the way that religion is introduced to various cultures you know it's one of those things where it's like It can be introduced, you know, by word of mouth and by, you know, rulers of whatever areas, you know, following a specific faith and then converting or following a specific faith and then telling the people that they rule over, hey, this is what we're following. This is what it is. So even then you have some type of force. So I wonder if that's what that was. I don't know. Duly noted. Next event occurred during the 11th century So during this time, you see Buddhism began to move throughout China, Sri Lanka, Burma, and it began to decline in India. So you have in Tibet, which is in China, you have the Sakya school of Tibetan Buddhism was established. No exact time frame, but just know it was established around the 11th century CE. Then you have the rival of the Theravada Buddhism in Sri Lanka and Burma. Now, again, I want you guys to know that Theravada, Theravada Buddhism is one of the biggest, it's an, again, it's a major school of Buddhism. So you had a rival of, um, this particular school of Buddhism in Sri Lanka and Burma. And then we had the decline of Buddhism in India, which I find to be very interesting because, this is where Buddhism began. So the fact that it was declining is just very interesting because then it makes me wonder why. And not only that, um, what caused, well, that goes with the why. What caused the decline? Is it because of religious persecution? And then also, is it because of the um, rivals 
the rivaling or the rivaling what the rival of the Theravada Buddhism that was taking place in Sri Lanka and Burma because Sri Lanka really is not far from India at all so you know just interesting how it began to decline in India because that's where it was birthed so next event I have occurred during the 12th century CE and again we're moving throughout India so during this time we have Buddhism officially being established in Myanmar and I have um, a quote from this amazing source that I used in um, studying all of my timeline of events and all of my where I got a lot of my information from Um, and it says in quote in 1193 CE the Muslims attacked and conquered Magadha, the heartland of Buddhism in India, and with the destruction of the Buddhist monasteries and universities, uh, in parentheses, they have Vallabhi and Nalanda, end of the parentheses, in that area, Buddhism was wiped out. Wow. Well, that, that answers the question of why Buddhism began to decline in India. And that's why I'm saying, like, I didn't want to say that every time a religion was being introduced or every time a religion, you know, in this context, declining or a person converting, I don't want to assume that it's by force. But I do feel that a lot of times, you guys, that's exactly what happened. It was by force because I feel that when it comes to religion, at least like the way that I've learned it. And I don't even want to say in the way that I learned it because, you know, it hasn't always been about violence or in a violent fashion. But a lot of times when it does come to religion, it is one of those things where it's like it always tends to it tends to happen by force. I don't want to say always, but it does tend to happen by force. So I just find that to be very interesting. That does. That's very unfortunate because, again, um in India that's where Buddhism was birthed so for it to be wiped out is that's terrible and that's very very unfortunate and then the next event I have um is uh, it's recorded to have occurred between 1140 CE to 1390 whoo that's about 200 something years um about 200 years exactly Buddhism that was already being practiced within Korea. It basically it began to flourish under the Koryo dynasty. Next event occurred during the 13th century CE. So now we're moving throughout Laos and Iran. I probably should also mention uh, Korea in a previous event, but you guys heard me talk about it, so we we're just gonna move past it. Um, so now we're gonna move throughout. Laos and Iran. So around this time, Buddhism began to spread throughout Laos. And then I have Iran because during this time, you have some Buddhist texts that were being translated into Arabic in in Persia. And, you know, Persia's in Iran. So that's the only reason why I have Iran here. Anytime that I see... Anytime that I've seen a text or anything being translated, I'm like, yep, we're going to put that on a map because that means that it's being 
that means that it's being looked into in that particular culture. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next event we have occurred during the 14th century CE. During this time, we see Buddhism being, we see it moving throughout Cambodia and Laos. So around this time, you see that in Thailand, uh, let's just say it's, I have 1360 CE, around this time, Thailand adopted Theravada Buddhism and it became the state religion. Again, there's that official, it's official. Um, and then you see Theravada Buddhism being adopted in Cambodia and Laos. I'm not sure if that means that it became a state religion, um, but I just feel that it became more prevalent and more, um, more popular within those areas. Next event I have occurred during the 15th century CE. During this time, I have the beginning of the Dalai Lama lineage in Tibetan Buddhism. Then the next event I have occurred around 18th century CE. So now we're moving, we're getting very close to our time. And I know that's a huge jump from 15th century to 18th century. That's like 300 years of, oh, what's going on? Okay, so our next event occurred during the 18th century. And during this time, I have uh, colonial occupation that was taking place in Sri Lanka, Burma, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. I do not have any notes specifying who was doing the colonizing. Um, I did come across some evidence that said that Sri Lanka was colonized by the French sometime between the 18th and 19th century. Um, I also don't want to assume that it was the Europeans doing the colonizing, but I will like to mention that they were colonizing a lot of countries around that time. You know, um, various co countries within the continent of Africa was being colonized. The Americas, North and South were being colonized. Um, the Caribbean was being colonized and that's just focusing on the Western hemisphere. So I'm not really familiar with, um, what colonization looks like uh on the eastern hemisphere but i'm just saying i wouldn't be surprised if it was the europeans doing all that colonizing i'm just saying they was doing a lot of colonizing around that time just saying moving forward our next event um occurred during the 19th century and pretty much during this time you see buddhism enter north america for the first time so in night not 19 sorry in 1853 uh, the first Chinese temple was founded in the United States, specifically in San Francisco, California. And that's pretty much a Buddhist. It's a Buddhist temple. The first Buddhist temple um, that was established in the United States. Then the next timeline of events and also the final timeline of events I have, uh, these occurred during the 20th century. And during this time, you pretty much see Buddhism spread throughout Europe and continue to flourish throughout North America. So first, we're going to move throughout Europe. Uh, we're going to dabble a little bit into Sri Lanka, and then we're going to go back to North America. So in 1903, Germany founded the Buddhist Mission Society in Germany. 
And then in 1907, Great Britain founded the Buddhist Society of Great Britain. And in 1952, Sri Lanka founded the founding of World Fellowship of Buddhists. And pretty much this is a conference that was held in Sri Lanka where you had um, various countries coming together. I believe it was Sri Lanka. um, I shouldn't say countries, I should say continents. Um, But it was Sri Lanka... Well, that's a country, but uh, countries in Asia, Europe, and North America that pretty much agreed to participate in this conference that that uh, participate in this conference that took place in Sri Lanka, and from having this conference, it's definitely something that continues to take place today. Um, but you pretty much have various Buddhists across the world coming together to um, progress the religion of Buddhism. And I guess that's also one of those things where you can say, "Mm." I was going to say where you can say it was similar to having the Buddhist councils, but I don't feel that it was the same. This um, founding of World Fellowship of Buddhists. I feel like the, um, the Buddhist councils were different from this. I mean, similar in some ways, but I feel that when it comes to this particular foundation, that this is international and I'm just going to leave it there. Moving forward, um, we also see Buddhism spread throughout Western countries. So specifically Tibetan Buddhism began to spread throughout Western countries. And when I say Western countries, I pretty much anything... I'm referring to anything on our side of the globe, you know, North America, South America, the Caribbean, um, yeah, things of that nature. And then in 1966, this is where we began to move into the United States. The first Theravada monastery was established in the United States. I don't have a specific location as to where in the United States, but it was established in the first Theravada monastery was established in the United States. And again, you guys remember that Theravada is a very big um, and highly, highly, has a highly followed, I can't talk. It is a very big and a highly followed school of Buddhism. And then in 1971, we have um, the first Tibetan center that was founded in the United States. And that concludes our timeline of events for the dispersal of Buddhism. So just so we can go ahead and run it back so you guys can go just see all the countries and continents that we visited in studying and examining the dispersal of Buddhism. Nepal, India, Sri, uh, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, Vietnam, Central Asia, China, Myanmar, Cambodia, again, Laos, Vietnam, Indonesia, India, again, Korea, India, Myanmar, Korea, Japan, Indonesia, Tibet, aka China, Europe, Thailand, China, Sri Lanka, Burma, then we had our decline in India, India, Laos, Iran, Cambodia, 
Laos, um, North America, Europe, Sri Lanka, and North America. When I say North America, I should probably just say the United States because I don't have any notes about um, Mexico or anything um, or Canada. But yes, that concludes our timeline of events uh, regarding the regarding the dispersal of Buddhism. I hope you guys have found this information very informative. I definitely learned a lot in doing this research. Um, and if you guys have any more questions you would like for me to examine or look into when it comes to Buddhism, feel free to hit me up on my social media. Y'all can tweet me. No one tweets me. Or y'all can slide in my DMs. Um, and just give me your feedback. I'm open to all comments, questions, critiques, criticisms, all that fun stuff. But yes, you have been listening to another segment of Meninge Twa. I would like to thank you guys for tuning in and coming to get this information, getting these spiritual vibrations for your mental stimulation. I know this is a lot of information, but you know what? You could just listen to it throughout the day. Make sure you guys share this information with your family and your friends. And I hope y'all have a beautiful, blessed week. Stay prayed up, you guys. It's a lot going on in our society right now. Um, but I pray y'all have an amazing day and a beautiful, blessed week. Thank you for tuning in to another segment of Meninge Trois. I have been your hostess. Lord have mercy. Y'all have a beautiful, blessed week.